0: Welcome to Contrast. Richard Bennett, Converted Catholic Priest, now Evangelist, presents Contrast. Your comments and questions will be greatly appreciated. Permission is given to record and copy the entire message. And now, here is Richard Bennett. It was on the 16th of March 1972 that my life radically changed I was going to pay Scrabble at a Catholic family I had been nine years a devout very sincere living Catholic priest the family where I was going to import port to Spain, Trinidad, West Indies was at the top of a hill and to avoid walking up 24 steps, concrete steps I jumped a little fence of about one and a half feet high to save myself walking up those steps. Somehow I slipped and I went down the steps damaging my head, my skull and my back spine. I was taken to a hospital and I was to be unconscious for three days. When I regained consciousness I was in tremendous physical and mental agony because the fall had disrupted my whole metabolism and my whole nervous system and I was in tremendous mental anguish besides physical pain even four or five months after getting out of a nursing home I would still shake because of my nervous system having been badly damaged. It was then I began searching in the scriptures to see how could I be right before the all-holy God. I had boasted that I had never committed a serious sin in my life but I never had peace with God and I wondered if I had died where would I have gone? And I began particularly searching in Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2 I would read sometimes the whole of Ephesians but these two chapters sometimes I read 20 times a day I would read Philippians I would read Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. And I would read John's Gospel and John's First Epistle and many other parts of the Old Testament, including my favorite passage, Isaiah 53. I began searching in God's Word for how I was be right with God it was during that time I was given a city parish so I wouldn't have to drive too much because of my condition and I began thinking back over my life I had grown up in Dublin, Ireland from a devout Roman Catholic family when I was a small boy I did sacrifices to help make myself good inside myself to build up sanctifying grace I continually went to the sacraments that grace would be poured into me like you go to a gas station to fill up with gas I went to the sacraments so that I would be filled up with what we call sanctifying grace even as a young man when Coca-Cola came from the United States as a young boy during Lent I wouldn't touch it or chocolate or any type of candy I was being sacrificial I was trying to get souls out of purgatory as a young boy and I was trying to be good so that I could one day be good enough to die and then go to purgatory and then to heaven so I was as devout as you could get as a young boy I was first of all in my kindergarten trained by the Dominican nuns And then my elementary education began under the Jesuit fathers, right through all of my secondary education. So that by the end of my secondary education, my mind had been formed in Roman Catholicism. I was highly depressed that in my year I got second in religious knowledge. I thought I should have got first, and I was greatly distressed. I had memorized what the Pope said, that was the famous Pope after the war, the thin, gaunt, saintly looking Pope Pius XII. He said these exact words, great mystery this and source of unending contemplation that the salvation of many should depend on the prayers and sacrifices of the members of the mystical body of Christ Offered for this intention, the mission to sacrifice yourself for salvation. That is still word for word official Catholic teaching that I just quoted. I wanted to live that. By this stage, as a young boy, I loved tennis, I loved dances, I loved parties, I was quite normal youth of 18 years old but I wanted to continue to build up sanctifying grace and to sacrifice myself by going into a monastic setting to become a priest. It was actually a Dominican order that I went into strictly speaking called a priory not a monastery and I bought a Bible for three pounds sterling which is a lot of money for a young man thinking that we were going to study the Bible in the preparation for the priesthood not that it was anyway forbidden but that it didn't turn out to be the textbook that we were going to use I went in and we had a whole devotional year by which we studied the lives of the saints we did the divine office for about Two and a half hours each day reciting different prayers in Latin and Psalms and different readings from church tradition. We did the Office of Mary and and once a week the Office of the Dead. We did Stations of the Cross, Mental Prayer, and lived a rigorous life for one year of devotions and preparation before you enter your studies. When the studies began, it wasn't the Bible we opened we opened the thomes, the volumes of Aristotle for three years we were to study the philosophy of Aristotle it is still Roman Catholic law that every single priest must be trained for at least two years in Greek philosophy we did three years we did the cosmology, the physics and the metaphysics, psychology and logic of Aristotle. I could tell you about substance and accidents and how physical things were made up and we knew that this was going to be important later on in theology. I still know in Latin the different principles of Aristotle. I memorized them like a Bible believer would memorize Bible texts. To this day, I still know by heart the different principles that Aristotle held. Then, I was to begin theology. We open now the Summa Theologica, the famous thomes of Thomas Aquinas. We were to study him for four years he is based on the Bible, on tradition on the Pope on the church councils and on the philosopher right through the volumes of Thomas Aquinas he mentions just the philosopher like there was only one philosopher that ever existed and it is quoted alongside the Bible and alongside the popes, the the mind of this pagan that lived for 300 years before Christ Jesus and so I learned Roman Catholicism we studied then minutely the philosophy that was coming out of Germany by Rudolf Gutmann and other Germans who were liberal Protestants We studied redaction criticism form criticism and higher criticism that is how the Bible can be dissected and how it has spiritually evolved just as there is physical evolution we were told so there was spiritual evolution whereby the written word of God came to us through different sources where people copied from each other And we had to demythologize, take the myth out of the New Testament. It was lethal, very damaging to the soul, and it pushed me back as a, a student preparing for the priesthood to Holy Mother Church. The Pope was infallible, we said, and we had authority that was living and not a dead book. We had a living voice in the Pope. So I was more and more driven back to the authority of the church and studying the liberal Protestant theology that we got in the Catholic seminary. We did the introduction to some books in the New Testament but we didn't study the Bible as such. And that was a minor subject, it wasn't a major subject. All this time I continue to be devout. I was still hoping for the salvation of souls as they died. To be filled with sanctifying grace inside themselves. And with the help of my suffering. I continue to live a rigorous life. In my Dominican gown. Strictly keeping all the laws. Strictly doing all that is required. And over and above all the different fasting and the different penances we did in the monastery itself or in the priory itself, I got permission to make a whip whereby I would take off my gown and my undershirt and flagellate myself. That is, whip myself. So that I would be good inside myself and gain merit and suffer with Christ so that souls could be saved it was now not just the Pope but Mary was appearing across the world particularly at Fatima she had appeared and these were supposed to be her exact words many souls go to hell because there is nobody to pray or do penance for them so I decided I would suffer even more one of the more deadly things I ever did if you know that Dublin is as far north as Moscow and quite quite cold in winter I would take cold showers in the dead of winter so that my bones as if it were ached with pain so that I would suffer I walked with little stones in my shoes and other ridiculous penances and you never knew when it was enough when when should you stop because This is what Mary said, this is what the church says, that we must suffer for sinners and we must suffer for our own sins and we must suffer so that souls may be saved and not go to hell. It was very hard. I look at my pictures in those days when I was in the priory, I looked like a gestapo agent. I was serious. I was intent to live a good life and to be a good Catholic a seminarian and then to be a priest. I was ordained a priest in 1963 and because I did so well in my academic studies I qualified to go to Rome to study at what we said was the best Catholic university in the whole world the Angelicum. Now the Jesuits said that they had the best university in the whole world but it was between the two of us the two orders, the intellectual orders the Jesuits and the Dominicans and I went to the Dominican University and there graduated in 1964, my final examinations I was scandalized by the immorality of Rome it was more than I could take I was literally taken aback because we called this the Holy City when I saw the immoral lives of Catholicism and Catholics the fact that very few people practice we had the Donne in the church there was a few old women in a huge huge church St. Clement's there was a real lack of any living faith that could even be called sacramental faith in Catholicism it was missing and the the young people in the bus would ridicule us because we were wearing a tunic, you know, the, the Dominican habit and we would curse them back in the Gaelic language I spoke more Gaelic and in, <laughs> on the buses as we would curse them back in our native tongue those of us who were from Ireland it was a difficult year I decided not to finish at the high academic level that I was qualified for because I wanted not now to be a professor I wanted to go in the mission field and serve Catholic people to love them and serve them and that's what happened after this was my eighth year of training I was sent to Trinidad West Indies where all the others of my group were sent for three more years of secular education for a secular degree in a university. I was like punished because I wouldn't finish at the right academic level. In Trinidad I began as a priest to baptize babies about 30 every first Sunday of the month. And it was difficult because the priests would joke about us and they would say, well, you know, we... Hatch, match and dispatch. We hatched them at Baptist and we matched them at marriage. Those who do get married, very few. And we dispatched them at funerals. And I I was taken aback. How can they jest about this? This is how somebody is born again when we pour the water over the baby's head. And some of the priests drank a lot and it was quite difficult for me as a devout Catholic young priest. I would sit in the confession box for three hours on a Saturday afternoon and people would come in to confess their sins and it went on week after week after we had an evening meal another one hour and sweat would pour down me not because it was just tropics because what I was hearing it was particularly difficult with young women coming in to confess their sexual sins I was 26 and I'm right up beside some young woman revealing all her sexual aberrations to me and it was quite quite difficult in some ways like sitting in a dumpster only this is real and it's moral things poured all over you and it was quite difficult confession in those days was quite popular and it was most difficult to do that It was very difficult to preach so I'd learn different stories and anecdotes to get through 10 minutes or so for the Sunday sermon. I got my own parish after a year and I started to baptize babies here, confessions in a a seaside parish where there was great poverty at the same time from Amoco and Texaco, the two huge oil companies that employ many Trinidadians, huge mansions and great wealth. There was this absolute dichotomy of rich, rich people and absolutely destitute people. So I began to study my Catholic books, Jose Miranda, Gutierrez and many others on Liberation Theology. I would preach to come into the land of promise out of capitalism into where wealth is shared and I got very forceful in preaching what really was Marxism. We were quite similar at the time what was happening in Nicaragua. They had a revolution and they succeeded, we had a revolution and we failed. I nearly lost my life in that revolution, I was held up with a gun and a machete and many other ways threatened because I was making a strong political statement I went back to Ireland it was now nearly seven years since I had left and I returned in 1972 the Catholic charismatic movement was beginning and people were beginning to pray in little groups talking to God in their own words and I was amazed at this It was about the third or fourth time I was at one of these little groups on that day in March. And I prayed when it came my turn and I thanked God for what a good priest I was. I thanked God for all the good I tried to do for people, how I lived a holy life, how I never committed any serious sin. And I thanked God that I was so humble. And... um, (laughs) then I said in my prayer something was thoroughly ghastly but I still said it I said and God if you wish to humble me even more I give you permission (laughs) giving God permission you know talk about a a horrendous prayer it was that evening that I split the back of my head and I damaged my back spine and then, in the months and then the years to follow, I'm reading the scripture. And Ephesians chapter two, verse eight and nine, came to me quite early on, "For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast." Reading it from my Jerusalem Bible. I would stand up at the annual priest meeting and say maybe it's not by all our sacrifices and our sacraments maybe it's just God directly in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit convicts us and we trust in Christ alone as it says in Ephesians and I quote Ephesians and Titus and many other parts and Romans being justified freely by his grace and this went on year after year at the, at the main priests' meeting every year and sometimes the smaller meetings. And people would say, who do you think you are? Are you better than the millions of Catholics worldwide and the Pope and all the Cardinals and Bishops? Who do you think you are? And all I could say is, I'm like Oscar. I don't know if you know Oscar, if he's still around, but Oscar in those days was in Sesame Street. He was the Muppet who came up out of the tin can and he was always saying his piece. <laughs> and they couldn't keep him down. They would put the lid on Oscar and he would come up again. All I could say is, unlike Oscar, I'll be back up. I'll, I'll speak again. I was determined that I was finding something but my authority base was still the scripture and the Pope and tradition. I was now doing Catholic charismatic things and if it takes babbling in tongues or you know doing a good show you know where people fall and all this sort of thing that's much easier than flagellating yourself or having cold showers believe you me so if it was now dramatized religion that we were learning and I was quite good at it I had long hair in those days And I look a little bit like Jesus Christ superstar. And um, I would do healing workshops and all and throw back my hair, you know, and uh, do all the things that the charismatics do. Because I was doing sort of so well locally in the West Indian situation, I was invited to Canada and later on into Seattle in the northwest of America. In Seattle, I was addressing a small little charismatic group but I had stayed in a Christian home the previous night and I discovered Strong's Concordance and I opened it under word. God's word is truth. Thy word is truth. All scriptures given by inspiration of God not to think beyond what is written. Not to add to God's word, to the law and the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, there is no light in them. And on and on, I was reading about what the word says about itself. So I spoke about that to the little group. And I was listening more than anybody else because I never heard this expounded before. When I got back, I was to speak at a main Catholic church in Vancouver British Columbia 400 people and they gave me a mic like this only on my chasuble you know the dress that the priest wears and I was going up and down the aisle with my Jerusalem Bible in my hand if you do not think according to this word as Christ Jesus said scripture cannot be broken this is the place where it all stops this is what is absolute this is the written word of God if you do not think this way you live in darkness as Isaiah said and I was getting enthusiastic and walking up and down and preaching on the authority of scripture and afterwards it seemed to go down well and we got a good collection so I said I must have said something but three days later Archbishop Carney calls me to his office and He takes me apart. He says, you know better. I would punish you even more severely only the recommendation you have for your own Archbishop. You're not to preach anymore. You're to return to Trinidad. It is utterly disgraceful. You know that the authority is the Pope and our traditions as we interpret the Scriptures. And he really took me apart and I went back to Trinidad but now I was different now I had an authority and now when I stood up at the priest meetings it was different now I was searching in a different way and when they would say to me who do you think you are are you better than the millions of Catholics I would say thus says the Lord And it was then that the hatred really came against me. It was very, very, very difficult. I wanted to share with some of the priests and some of the nuns my search and what I was searching about. One or two charismatic priests would listen. But when you came really to doctrine and you came really to share... You know, doctrine that is not in line with the sacraments or Catholic teaching, then a cold silence could come. It was really myself and one black priest who really was the only priest on the island that I could share with. And priests would say we don't talk shop. They would ridicule me on the golf course and say, "Ask your Jesus, you know, to help you make that put" or something like that. You know, they would ridicule me and make fun of me and it it was very difficult at the same time I would listen to some of the evangelicals preach and particularly the phrase accept Jesus into your heart was very difficult for me because that seemed to be exactly the same as Catholicism and we actually said that accept Jesus into your heart and into your stomach in the communion bread and dedicate your life to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. Commit your life. That type of a evangelistic message. I would say, Mother Teresa, there's a way up the totem pole, and I'm trying to go up. You know, if it's commitment, I win. Not those rich and you know wealthy and fat Americans. I didn't realize that what America was, but I really thought that this was, you know, how could these Americans who live so loosely, how could they talk about commitment? And if it's commitment I win. I've given more for Christ and of course the church. And if salvation is inside, that's what I've been thinking all my life. And then I would go back to Ephesians and really study it. And I counted in chapter 1 and 2 18 times it says in Christ, in Him, in whom, in the beloved, all the different phraseology but meaning in Christ, 42 times in the whole letter, it's a common theme in Colossians, in Philippians. It's the same concept, that I may be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is of faith, of Christ Jesus, unto all them that believe. It is in Christ that salvation is. And this was the the huge truth of God's word that was ministering to me. Salvation is not inside myself. It's not that I am pumping good, sanctifying grace in Salvation is in Christ. And I've read and reread John's gospel and the first letter of John. This is the testimony that eternal life is in him. and he finishes off first John, and we know that the Son of God has come, and he's given us an understanding that we are in Him that is true, even in His Son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. What? That salvation is in Christ. Eternal life in John's Gospel is in Christ. And so I was really becoming convicted that salvation is in Christ. And it is an act of God by which God declares us to be just. I had known some Greek and even, you know, I could see that you know, this word impute is 11 times in chapter 4 of Romans. It's credited to you, it's reckoned to you. It's, it's, it's yours but it's given to you just like you have money in the bank that is credited to you. But this is Christ's righteousness in which you stand, complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power, that we are in him. And this was the huge revelation that God was showing me. Eternal life is in Christ. And Paul's testimony that he was found in him and that all the rest was rubbish. And this was my ardent desire parallel to this I was making another search and I wish to share because it's very precious and intimate to me I was also sharing what Christ said in his life in the different gospels and I noticed that he always spoke about father something like 170 times and he even said in the garden Abba Father he was calling out to his father as his Abba his Papa God the intimate term and that Paul was saying the same the spirit testifies to our spirit that we are children of God whereby we cry out Abba Father Now, so in my childhood my father was always distant from me he was a military man but he was distant usually with his military work and then later on he got tuberculosis and he, was, he wasn't in the home it was my mother my six sisters my brother was so much younger than me it was like he never really existed in the family finally when my brother came much much younger than myself I could never relate with him it was always my mother and my sisters and I never had a role model or a father and I never really felt I can't say my father picked me up in his arms or did anything with me as a young boy boy he was interested in my writing at school but that was about all nothing to do with sport nothing to do with anything he was distant and I was searching for the Abba Father at the same time that I could have a Father whose arms I would feel the everlasting arms and no security because I still didn't have peace after many years of searching I'm going in now twelve, thirteen years of searching and I still don't know peace with God and I was looking for the Abba Father and I discovered and it was like again a gleam of light coming up out of the page to me that Christ on the cross quoted Psalm 22 my God, my God why hast thou forsaken me? that on the cross he did not say Father he calls God God that something was happening. And then I'm seeing that as I tie it up with Paul's letters and what, what Peter said. I'm seeing that it was at that moment that he took the wrath of God upon himself. It made sense now, the last first and second Corinthians 5. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might know... the become the righteousness of God in him he took wrath and he did not know the father as Abba father he was facing God as the sin bearer and that was a big part of me coming to understand not only what salvation was but that you could have the all holy God as your Abba father that you could call God Papa God the All Holy One and that was ministering to me as I continued to read the word but as I continued to read and was ridiculed by the priests and the nuns it was very difficult for me and I began now to depend on alcohol to quiet my spirit and the calm my nerves it was many many years after my accident but I began sometimes to shake even at midday I was so nervous I was searching and I could not really still find peace I was searching and still so far away I can't share with anybody even that one black priest ceased to stand with me and I had nobody to share with and I would continue now at night time to take some beers and then large shot of rum to sleep and I was thinking well, if this is Christian living I'm not so sure that I really am Christian I could understand the gospel message and my mind that had been formed by Aristotle was now like bound by Aristotle Aristotle said in his his epistemology, the knowledge of knowledge, that when we gain knowledge of something, we have control and mastery over it. I thought because I can understand what salvation is, it's by grace, through faith, in Christ, that I must be a Christian. I can understand it, therefore I have mastery over it, I am a Christian. And then as I drank more and depended more on the bottle, I could see, well, this is a strange type of Christian you are. You know, this is the way you get peace with God is by large shots of alcohol, particularly at night and sometimes even in the midday where you're taking some wine to to steady your nerves. So what was I to do? I couldn't talk to anybody so I went into my own office to where the visitor came and sat in the chair in front of my desk. And I sat where the visitor sits looking up at my empty chair and trying to be objective. And I'm telling the empty chair my problems. and I'm really searching to know who Christ Jesus is. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That I may be found in him but my life is not adding up I do not have peace with God I now become a heavy drinker to calm my nerves I have lustful and immoral thoughts that I boast home i so good and I still have the lusts of the mind what do I do? how am I to be guided? what am I to know? And I'm sitting here in the visitor's chair and then looking up to the empty chair and wondering, what do I say back to myself? And my message to myself was, Bennett, boy, you're a mess. <laughs> you are not a Christian. You are, in the words of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, dead in trespasses and sins. The verse I could never really deal with. That I spiritually was nothing. That I could not of myself save myself by my intellect. And that my goodness amounted to filthy rags. And my trying to save myself was like spitting in the face of Christ Jesus. So my counsel to myself was get on your face before God. Admit that you are spiritually dead and there's nothing you can ever do. Cry out to him that you may have what you speak so much about, faith and grace. And that you may know peace and security in Christ Jesus. So that same evening I went upstairs in my house to where I had my meals and I got literally on the floor and I cried out to God show me that I really am dead I accept that I am nothing before your all holy nature and your absolute goodness I can do nothing. Give me the gift of faith that I may trust in Christ alone and rest in Him. Forgive me for my years of devotedly trying to save myself or cooperate with Christ in my own sufferings. Forgive me. I did it sincerely but now I see it was utterly wrong. Forgive me for my life of religiosity And the times I said to people who were dying, offer your pain with Christ's pain, that you may save yourself and save souls. I had said the same message that I believed into the ear of dying people. I had kept journals, and some of it was frightening, whereby I had whispered into people's ears as they were dying, the message that they could save themselves by offering their sufferings with Christ's suffering. Teaching Catholics the Catholic message, it was really hard on me now as I faced it. All people are dead in sins. And as I was praying, I could see that the Archbishop, I knew the bishop in Grenada, I knew different bishops across the West Indies, I knew the priests, I said, some of them are pious and devout like myself, but none of them know the Lord. And look at the lives of some of them are quite immoral. I said, this is religion. This is not Christianity. And I wanted to know the Lord and I knew I could do nothing. So I kept crying out to God. And then I began expressing my faith. Yes, All-Holy God, I trust in Christ's righteousness alone. I rest on His blood. I accept His perfection and righteousness to be credited to me. That I accept that I would be in Him secure. That you, the All-Holy God, could be my Abba Father. And I express my faith and literally I got down on the ground fully and I cried and I cried maybe for about 20 minutes. I was just overcome with profound sense of the grace of God touching my life. That night maybe I didn't reflect enough but I took my usual shots and went to sleep but the next day around noon I wasn't shaking and I didn't need wine and there was a joy unspeakable and full of glory during the day I felt the presence of Christ and I felt secure in Him and I felt a warmth of the power of the Holy Spirit inside me and I felt secure and forgiven That the Lord had truly reached down in his grace. And that I could know that I was in Christ Jesus. When I came that night to sleep, I needed nothing. It was completely gone. And I was content in Christ to be secure in him. And then I began really preaching. I was running Some main churches, the main church would hold about a thousand people and then some smaller churches of 600 or so, one uh, of about a hundred people and then some outstations. I began preaching a message that was entirely different and the Archbishop was really now in my case. It wasn't just simply that I had taken down the statues like I did when I came back from Canada. That was in 1980, but now this was 1985 and I was giving a different message. I was to be removed and sent to another parish where there were witch doctors, we called it, Shango or Obia. And I felt that my life was in danger. I appealed to my Dominican order for a sabbatical year which I was due. And they said you can go to Yale or Berkeley in the United States for a a one-year university course. I did not know what little devils they put into the minds of people in Yale and Berkeley, but I said I can deal with the devils in Trinidad, but whatever they do on those campuses, I doubt I could survive. Um, I then again got on my face before God, what do I do? I cannot continue with the rites and rituals because salvation is in Christ and Christ alone. What do I do? I love my Catholic people. How can I continue to love them? How can I continue to give them the message? And then I appeal to my Abba Father that I could always love my Catholic people. Always reach out to them with the true message and that I would know a life devoted to serving Catholic people I left Catholicism with this plea with God that I could always love my Catholic people and with that I left the priesthood and I left Catholicism in the winter 1985, it was actually it turned out to be Thanksgiving, I didn't know about Thanksgiving, but I came to Vancouver and then after a month when I was put out of a Catholic home because I was not acceptable in the home, I came to Washington State to a couple and they really understood because they had been Catholic. And they went through doctrine by doctrine with me that I would ask for forgiveness where I had broken the word of God and that I could love Catholic people to give the true message. It was a real ministering to me. I was to stay with them for six months. It was then that I applied to the pastor of the church where I was going to become a missionary to the West Indies, where I'd been, because he'd sign up in in one of the windows of the church, and he said, "What deacons recommend you, or who's the church support, or what have you got?" And my answer was, "No, no, no, I nothing." And then he said, "And you should be married," and I said, "Well, what?" You know, he said, all our pastors and missionaries are married. And I said, do you put it in the bulletin or what do you do? I knew I was only trying to be funny. He said, "You, you pray. And I went to pray about it, but I had no money. A few hundred dollars and I don't have anything. And how can I pray? So I said, God, you have to choose a wife for me and you've got to show her that while I have nothing, I have everything in you by faith and show her that and convict her that she should marry me because there's no reason in the world why anybody would want to marry me. So, uh, that the Lord did and the precious gift the Lord has given me, Lynn, is here with us today. It's now nearly 17 years since we got married and I praise God we went to Atlanta and I got beyond Pentecostalism and renounced that all the signs and wonders I got clean of that went to Charles Stanley's church got built up more and more in the word we applied to be missionaries to China we should not have been accepted because we were not members for even six months at the time we should have been members for a year we should have a mission agency we couldn't afford one the church made exceptions Dr. Stanley had me give my testimony one evening and we went to China the year of Tiananmen Square and the blood flowing in the square we were the ones who told our students, we were the ones who gave them the gospel, we saw the grace of God in China not just with students but with some of the ordinary people who could speak English we saw God's grace and it was light and darkness we came back and we started the I did a type of a year's sort of Bible college and then we started the ministry we have. and God has been faithful that we can love Catholic people and give them the message and that's what our ministry is all about to reach out in love for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life and that's what we do I learned Spanish and I witnessed to many Latinos in the northwest before when we left Atlanta went back and we lived in Portland I learned Spanish and I saw quite a number of Catholic people, both the devout and those who had left Catholicism, come to the Lord. I thank God that he has given me a great love to reach out. And those of you who are Bible believers, I ask that you ask for the compassion of Christ who wept over Jerusalem the Pharisees were devout, religious and sincere they established their own righteousness looking for their own goodness inside themselves and were not accepting the grace of God their authority was the Bible and tradition and Catholicism is quite, quite the same another authority and a gospel that is not the gospel So who are we if Christ wept over Jerusalem? Who are we not to weep over our Catholic neighbors, those that we meet at the supermarket, those that we meet at the bank, those that we meet on the street, or your hairdresser if she's a Catholic? Who are you not to want to reach out to precious Catholic people who can be highly devout and highly sincere Who are you not to weep over them and long to give them the gospel message? And if we have one or two Catholics here today, I thank you for coming. I thank you for hearing the word of God. And I ask that you hear the commandment of Christ Jesus. Jesus said, this is the work of God that you believe on Him whom He has sent. That is God's commandment, that you believe on Him whom the Father sent. It is not a request, it's a commandment. And it's by grace, it's God's graciousness. He does not command What cannot be done with his grace you can trust on Christ alone. So it is the wonder of who Christ Jesus is. The wonder, I'm being reminded of, the grace of God. The greatness of who he is. This is the message. This is the wonder of our God. Now how do we get there? The scripture says God commands all men everywhere to repent the Apostle Paul and the most difficult thing to repent of is religion. To think that you were brought up this way and it is your church that you believe in. That is the most difficult thing to repent of. Repenting of sins is difficult, but repenting of religion is the most difficult thing. It is for you as a Catholic to realize that no church saves. It is a person. We are not coming against your church as such. We're exalting Christ Jesus, the finished sacrifice and the perfect life lived. We are exalting Him You are to trust on him. This is a message of personal faith. No church saves. And that is what you are commanded to do. And recognize there exists in me no good thing. Of yourself you cannot do it. It has to be in the grace of God in trusting in that grace or crying out for the grace you in God's power and his graciousness say yes I trust in Christ alone to the glory of who you are all holy God alone and to you be praise forever and ever so you know the message that you are commanded to believe on Christ and Christ alone. And then you can pray also that you can have a love for your Catholic family, if there's others in your family who are still Catholic, and reach out to them and see that it's the richest of grace, it's the abundance of grace, it's the flow of the rain of righteousness that the scripture speaks about this is not something that is limited God is gracious and he is the loving father who has sent his son trust on him and you will forever know the glory of what salvation is and so together we can say all praise glory, worship, and honor be to the all-holy God in Christ Jesus now and forevermore. Amen and amen. Praise God. Thank you. for listening. If the Lord touches you, we'd love to hear from you. Visit our website at www.bereanbeacon.org. Goodbye and God bless you.
1: This reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books.